Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the OPC Foundation podcast, the home of industrial interoperability. My name is Peter Seberg, and normally I am your host, but today I am going to be interviewed by nobody less than the president of the OPC Foundation, Stefan Hoppe, on the topic of OPC UA and artificial intelligence. So, Stefan, over to you. How are you? Thank you, Peter. It's definitely an honor for me to act here today as the host. <laughs> but it's also a challenge because you really did a fantastic, great job over the, was it one or two years where you started as a host? Is it is it one year, two years? Uh, yeah, we're in our second year now, aren't we? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So you did an amazing job and, and for sure <laughs> you will continue to act as a host. And today it's really just an exception. Okay. In the history of the OPC Foundation podcast, we, we had a lot of additions definitely on, on the OPCA core technology and, and a lot of companion specifications describing the semantic. But today, we definitely like to listen and get an introduction about the artificial intelligence, short AI. And honestly, I tell you, when, when I prepared myself a little bit here for this podcast, I got a little bit worried. But let's see on, on your explanations. <laughs> okay. I will give you some really critical statements from Stephen Hawkins and Elon Musk and Bill Gates later on. So, so I'm really looking forward to, to your answers. Okay. But hey, Peter, I know or we know each other for multiple years when you started for an OPC toolkit company. But really, let's start more systematic here for the listeners. For, for a starter, Peter, please tell us who you are, what you do, and how you have come to work with artificial intelligence. Very good. Happy to do so, Stefan. Yeah, my name is Peter Seberg. I was uh, born in the Netherlands, studied computer at a design in Delft. I've worked uh, 25 years in IT. My main stop was uh, Intel, Intel in Europe, based here in the Munich area. And then almost uh, 10 years of uh, industrial automation. That was with, yeah, you mentioned, I think I can call the name here, it's a company called Softing. And one very important activity that I was in charge of representing was introducing OPC UA. And I spent a lot of time on the road with you, with Uwe, with Bob, and many, many others uh, around the world. And that's a very nice time to be thinking back of. Today, for the last uh, three years, I have been an AI consultant and moderator. Yeah, I still live in the Munich area. I write books on AI. I co-produce a number of podcasts. This one, I'm very happy and very proud to be doing for you, for the OPC Foundation, but also a German language podcast on AI in industry, for example. Very cool. So after this personal introduction, let's yeah go to the topic we have today on artificial intelligence. The next block is... Can you please explain us what artificial intelligence is and give us a little bit the history since when does it exist and does a real definition exist? And honestly, is AI not really something like a regular algorithm to help us to do our job? Very good questions. Uh, so the term AI, artificial intelligence, was really first used in the 1950s, so that is about 70 years back, um, by a guy called John McCarthy. And he, he sent an invitation for a study on the word first use artificial intelligence in the summer of 1956, and that was at 
Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire. And I quote here, he wrote every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence that can in principle be so precisely described that a machine can be made to simulate it. Uh, stop the quote. So let's call that the rules-based approach to AI. So when you can describe learning or intelligence so precise that you take a piece of software, you know, and you have a machine do the same thing. That is that approach. A couple of years later, there was another guy. So I'm going to name two, three persons here, 59. And that was Arthur Samuel. And he defined the term machine learning. And that is today's most important way of doing AI. And I do a quote again, and he called that the study that gives computers the ability to learn, again, the word learn here, without being explicitly programmed. Stop the quote. So let's call that the probability-based approach to AI. And as I said, that is the most important way of actually doing artificial intelligence today. And the third name I'm going to call out, that was the name of Alan Turing, Maybe that's the name that most listeners may have heard before. And already before, that's 1950, he poses the question, can machines think? And he develops a game later that's the so-called Turing test, and that's for helping decide if algorithms show intelligence. Now, my personal definition, if I may, you know, without uh, wanting to put myself at the same level of these three famous people, but that has worked very well for the last couple of years. So I say AI really is an algorithm as a tool in the hands of humans that recognize patterns in data that are too complex for humans to recognize. And what they do is support us in our daily lives. Now, they can be good, which is, of course, what we would always like to strive for. Autonomous driving, increasing a plant's output. That's probably what we'll talk about more uh, today. Uh, but they can also do, for example, bad things. You know, they can manipulate humans in elections. And that's, of course, what we do not want to happen. And for that reason, we're going to need to have AI regulated like any other critical infrastructure. If it's electricity, gas, water, energy. So to conclude, today there is not one single definition of what is AI, and that's not different from also not having one definition of what is intelligence. Okay, very interesting, and we will talk about the regulations you mentioned maybe later on. Preparing here for this podcast, I've heard about the differentiation between weak AI versus strong AI. What is this all about? Yeah, it's an interesting approach to saying, let's start with the first one, the strong AI, which is an approach that is really only, let's say, targeted for by a very small group of worldwide researchers. That is the point where sometime in the future, maybe algorithms could reach the same level of intelligence as humans. So it doesn't exist today. That is typically whenever you see a good movie, you know, if it's um, iRobot or AI, all these wonderful cinema movies that always show algorithms, artificial intelligence, as something bad to human beings, right? They take humans hostage. We love to look at those kind of movies, but it doesn't exist today. And, and if that's ever going to happen or not, let's see 
I don't think it ever will. On the other hand, there's so-called weak AI, which is a little bit of a weird word, but it just means for, you know, there are algorithms, they can do all kinds of things for us. And that is what 99 plus percent of all researchers and parties that involve in AI concentrate on. And that's why they want to say, you know, this is really what we today do with algorithms. And where is the differentiation between what is an algorithm, what is software? When does it become AI? I can say one more thing about it. Very typical is, let's maybe take chess as an example. There's points in time where people are very impressed by what is subtly happening. That was the case over 20 years ago when the IBM computer won from Kasparov, at that time the world chess champion, and Kasparov, he was devastated, right? He didn't believe that was ever possible. And people interested in chess at the time, I was involved in chess with Intel as well. And they said, oh, this is a very important point in time for artificial intelligence. Although it was more of a just search and algorithms-based approach. Now you look back and people who do chess, they know today it is not possible to win from an algorithm, from you know a good algorithm playing chess. So today that is normal. So what is always the case, what at some point in time is like, oh, what is going on there? So algorithm software showing some kind of intelligence, then five years later becomes normal. Yeah, uh, <laughs> good point. And let's see what also Hollywood always made movies and what's becoming reality. Mm. But honestly, we talked about regulations before that, that regulations are required. And and now you're some, I mean, inspiring people like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, uh, Stephen Hawking, I mentioned them. They made statements on AI and, and I'm doing some quote here from them. Stephen Hawking mentioned AI is likely to be either the best or the worst thing to happen to humanity. Or I give you an example from two examples from Elon Musk. He says, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. Or we need to be super careful with AI, potentially more dangerous than nukes. And even Bill Gates says, humans should be worried about the threat posed by artificial intelligence. So... <laughs> Should I become really more worried? So is artificial intelligence then more a threat or is it not becoming normal? Let's pick up the quote from uh, Elon here. So where he says it's potentially more dangerous than nukes. And, and I, would, I would agree. It is important that we realize that, you know, these algorithms called in artificial intelligence at some point in time, called in machine learning, doesn't matter, but they have the potential to be as you know to change the world to solve maybe climate change you know that potential is there as a very wonderful great good thing as stephen hawking i believe says on one hand not by itself it's a tool in our hands if we want to we can use it but on the other hand it's as big in a negative way It can destroy democracy. We've seen examples of, you know, elections that have happened by means of algorithms, again, called in artificial intelligence or not. And I think, 
the comparison with nuclear technology is a great, you know, again, as part of this climate change, you know, certain countries, um, I was reading yesterday, France and Europe, they go stronger with nuclear technology. In this country where I am, where we are today, we're going out of the nuclear technology. But this, as an example, it is very important that we are going to regulate artificial intelligence to make sure that the same as nuclear technology, the same as electricity or gas or, you know, driving on the road, we need to make sure that if people go drive on the road, depending in what country you are, that you're always going to drive on the right side or the left side of the road, that if there's a red sign that you stop. It's these rules and regulations and the European Union, but not only, also the United States and China. So it's really like a global effort. It's not always the same, but the worldwide community is trying to make sure that algorithms, that artificial intelligence is going to be used only for the good way of supporting humans, not for destroying humans. Okay, so it's again about the usage of technology. After this more general introduction on AI, let's switch a little bit and go to more where we come from the industries of industrial automation. So can you give us some examples of AI use cases in both in discrete and process industry? Yeah, and before that, let me just add one, two more things and then move over, you know, on the question of the threat of, or the opportunity to be more specific, because I believe most listeners have heard, you know, that researchers have said, you know, 50% of the jobs are going to be gone. On the other hand, you know, more or less new jobs are going to be created. So the opportunity is huge and all the parts of the world, the USA, China, Europe, all want to become, you know, a major powerhouse in artificial intelligence. So if we're then going to be talking about OPC UA and AI, and then I give a couple of examples, I would say that we have this huge potential as long as we make sure that we regulate AI. So use cases both in discrete and process industry, uh, let's stay at the top level, you know, they can be found in each stage of the product development and sales cycle. You know, it doesn't matter starting with, you know, developing a product, uh, marketing, sales, service, but let's maybe focus today on, let's say, product production, which is where OPC UA is, is really at home. And then I would say there's two major categories of AI in industry. So one is optimization and the second is new product development. I'll talk a little bit about both of them. So starting with the optimization, it's all about improving OEE, overall equipment efficiency. So, But but let me interrupt you. I mean, yeah. haven't we done that for always? I mean, when, <laughs> when I started 26 years ago, exactly. uh, at Backoff as a software engineer, it was to optimize the, the efficiency. Exactly. And, and, and Stefan, I can tell you, I have been myself with colleagues into, you know, numerous companies. And so OEE is always a theoretical 100%, right? So you have your quality of your product, you have your downtime, you know, you want to only zero, zero, or, you know, and maybe you have one hour downtime and your throughput numbers. The theoretical 100% normally you don't, you don't reach, right? You know, in discrete, 
the numbers that I know, they are, you know, 80, 90%, something like that. They are still a potential of 15, 20%. And in process, my personal experience is that the OE numbers are a lot lower, you know, maybe 60, 70%. So it's exactly that. It's at the point in time where humans, you know, where engineers, a group of people do not understand why, let's say, once a month, there is a specific problem in the factory, in the production line, in the plant, and they have looked at this problem now for a year or two, and they just cannot find it. And then they invite you as, you know, uh, the people who do the data science, to do the AI, they invite you in, you get the data, the algorithms look at the data, and then go back again at my definition, AI is an algorithm that looks into the data and recognizes patterns that are just too complex for us humans. You know, in the meantime, we have production lines, we have plants that have a hundred or a thousand sensors you know, and humans, you know, we have built this line, but we are not perfect. So somewhere we have put something in which doesn't work perfectly. And the algorithm, they don't care if it's 10 or 100 or 10,000 sensors. They recognize the patterns. And that's the way to then say, okay, today we have 85% OEE. And tomorrow with the first project, we, you know, we increase 2% to 87 and then you do a couple of other projects and then you, you cross the 90% towards the 95%. That's how you can do this. So that is the side of, I'm not sure if you're happy with that answer, but that is the number one way of using algorithms to increase your overall EE. Got it. And if I, if I may, you can also call or use specific technologies like process mining. What they do, they will help you find, trace back the original situation. So the problem is happening here where I'm standing in my production line where, you know, the door is put into the car and there is a certain problem. But the problem, the originated, you know, two minutes before, you know, 100 meters back and this process mining technology can help you do that. Now, if you run into such a situation, it's, it's really, it's very interesting. You need like a strong, you know, human character in front of you. The first time the data shows correlations and then the responsible people say, ah, oh, this one is not correct. There was, a, you know, the sensor was dirty or something. And then suddenly there is a situation where the people in the plant say, oh, how is this possible? How is it possible that the algorithms have found a situation where we now as a team of engineers must say, yeah, how can it be that we did not see this? Now, if it's then a small problem, you just make a quick engineering change if it's a big problem, what you typically do is you then put a model, a model of your production line into the plant or next to the production line. And in the future, when the same situation occurs again and the algorithms, they recognize it, they will then, you know, feed back to the control room and give you, you know, um, a yellow or a red light. Got it. Okay. So we know that you are an expert of AI and I don't want to... Well, maybe you don't tell the audience all of your <laughs> business secrets, but uh, how would you typically go about introduction AI, specifically machine learning for your clients, for their plans? 
Yeah, happy to do so. So the first thing to do some kind of assessment, make yourself knowledgeable. And the listeners, you know, who have uh, stayed with us until here, that's what they're doing, right? You know, they want to they wanna say, oh, I'm a big fan of uh, OBC UA, or I'm just learning about OBC UA. I'm busy in manufacturing, in production, uh, and, and I want to know what this uh, relation is about. So don't say, I want nothing to do with it. You just be open, make yourself knowledgeable, organize a workshop or a brainstorming. And then you're going to find out, you know, what use cases uh, do you have? What data? Where's the data? What's the quality? Those are not new necessarily, you know, in the environment of OPC UA. That's the thing you typically do anyway. But then it's very important. You're going to define goals of what it is that you want to reach with introducing AI. And what you do there, you can do half a day or a day's workshop. Very important that you're going to have all your people involved and define the decision maker in the room, right? And then maybe you're going to have, you know, throughout the day, you're going to have like 10 use cases. There's two or three in production. There's one in sales, there's one. And then you're going to gonna produce a criterion list like for deciding which is the one top one test use case that you're going to do a POC with, you know, a proof of concept. And number one is, of course, as I said, do I have data? Where is the data? That if you have OPC UA, but we come later to that, uh, I can already tell you now, then you are very, very lucky. So then you're going to run such a proof of concept for maybe three months, you know, a small one. I will always say step by step, start really small and then find out after these three months if the data that you have can help you, you know, with machine learning, with artificial intelligence, can help you, for example, improve your OEE from, you know, 85 to 87. And if that's what you see with a small POC, then you go the next bigger step. And then maybe you go into other areas as well. So step by step, get your people together and start doing something. Yeah, thank you very much. And I think we can do a little bit this uh, advertisement block for you here. It's definitely helpful. <laughs> you have an expert who did that multiple times to, to guide a, a company to, to not lose a lot of time. Okay, so you mentioned a couple of times now OPCUA, and obviously we have to talk about that. So what role can OPCUA play in making artificial intelligence in industry become successful? Yeah, one or the other listener may have heard my view and uh, also you, Stefan, will not be surprised to hear that I uh, strongly believe that uh, AI and OPC UA to be the real winning team. And I must say that that is my original view, you know, out of my personal brain. Uh, I'm going to be very happy to see other people kind of support this view. But let me explain you why that is so. And it really is out of my, you know, close to 10 years experience with you and the organization on OPC UA and my, you know, now close to six years of experience with uh, introducing artificial intelligence. So let's stick to this three months uh, POC that I just mentioned. So you now have decided which small project for the next three months you want to find out what it is you know can artificial intelligence can machine learning help my organization now what you need to know is and you can ask 100 data scientists or the people who deal with the data and they will all confirm you is that the rule is that around 80 percent of the work done by the data scientists is about cleaning also cleansing 
the data. So first you need to find the data. You know, we've talked about it all the time. Typically, data has been in the past available in many different departments, you know, in silos and responsibilities. Then you need to start understand the data. What does X23 stand for? You know, oh, nobody knows anymore. That was, you know, a person did that 25 years ago. We have nowhere written it. Then you need to start putting in lacking information. There's, you know, missing pieces in the data. It doesn't matter what kind of format of your data is. So then all of this time, until you then have a clean data set, that you then have a high expectation that algorithms are going to find patterns in them. Again, that's the definition of AI. So of these three months, which is 12 weeks, you know, you have already spent nine weeks before you can then give the data to the algorithms. Now comes OPC UA. And those of you that already know, or those of you learning OPC UA, OPC UA with its information model that exactly describes and represents the variables in the production line and all the relationships between the different variables, you can almost immediately start applying the algorithms under the variables. So you come in for your work, internal, external, day one, and you start your three months POC and you can look at the OPC UA information model including also the companion standards. So there's a number, maybe you want to make two, three remarks on that one, depending on where I am. You know, am I dealing with robots? Am I dealing with other kinds of machines? There's many specific information models available. And when I do that, that's very important. If OPC UA is running as an integrated structural element in my production line, I know that the relevant variables out of the information model that I am using, that they are 100%, you know, real and correct because, you know, my production line is running at it. So immediately at the time that I start, I can start dealing with the algorithms. Now, I'm not a technical guy, but I've seen enough OPC UA information models. All the data points, the variables, their meaning, their relationships, I've been able to play a little bit with them in the past. And the reason I say that is because I'm not the guy that goes into the detail. Even I, as a person that deals with machine learning, you know, I can easily look into such an information model. So immediately within the hour, I can start. And here you are. Instead of dealing, you know, nine weeks cleaning with data and finding relationships, I can immediately start do my machine learning. And that's why I think it's um, the combination of OPC UA and artificial intelligence is a winning companion. Very good. You mentioned 80% data scientist work is cleaning data. And that reminds yeah. me again, when I prepared myself, I listened to a podcast about artificial intelligence from 2016. Right. And there was an expert and he predicted, says, oh, for 2017, we will learn that just having data and big data is not enough. We need a better understanding of the data. And, and this reminded me automatically, hey, wow, I mean, the OPC Foundation is cooperating with a lot of other associations exactly describing the information models. I could name multiple, but here for the listeners, I, I'm allowed to maybe just uh, mention the VDMA here because from the over 65 information models the OPC Foundation is doing with partners, 
the VDMA is doing 31 of them. So it's really a major block. And they do the harmonization of them to avoid any double definition of data and so on. And this is really the, the champion's class of defining data. Yeah, and if, if I may, you know, we've been dealing now here for 10 years with Industry 4.0, right? It's it's all about digitization. It's about automation. And this story that I just mentioned and, and what you talked about, this finding the data, where is the data, the meaning of the data, you know, how does it represent? That's what in this Industry 4.0 world of digitizing information we have talked about for 10 years. And when I talk about it, from the perspective of, you know, algorithms, machine learning, artificial intelligence, that is not new. So I can, I can only say if I then want to do artificial intelligence, which is really also just a further extension of, you know, digitizing your industry, then I come to exactly the same point. And that's why if I then have OPC UA in my production line, in my plant, you know, I can immediately start the work rather than, you know, starting again at the beginning and, you know, where is my data and et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And, and so there must be a sense in not just having <laughs> OPCA and companion specs. Right. So th there must be a reason for it. And the reason obviously is to become quicker and, and save money or earn money for sure. So coming back to if you introduce something and you are in connection with companies, who are the people in charge in industrial companies for introducing artificial intelligence? Yeah, it really depends, I would say, on the size of the organization, right? So if you, as a listener, are maybe part of a smaller organization, you know, maybe it's you, yourself, maybe somebody in IT, or maybe it is you, part of, you know, the production environment that does the OPC UA introduction. It can be a person from a different department, you know, who may have heard about AIML. Maybe it's you now after this podcast that, you know, go to your colleagues and, and maybe to your boss and say, oh, we have to do something. And I can only say, you know, to some kind of a decision maker higher up, you know, let the people do it, you know, find out maybe there's a second person in your organization or let the one person do something and whatever way they're going, again, going back to make yourself, you decision maker, make yourself knowledgeable, sit together with that person and see what you can do together. You know, if you're part of a larger organization, then, you know, I assume that your strategic or your IT department has probably already bought you there so you may have been already in the middle or if you are not aware then somewhere in your organization people may have been doing machine learning already in either case you can get of course always get external help you can get consulting where needed and today there's so many solutions available from it from cloud hyperscaler there's so many platforms People in the IT department that write software, you know, there's, there's libraries, there's a software environments available. And again, here, I would say the same thing, you know, go step by step, but sit together as a team, find out who knows already something and who can maybe do some internal courses or make sure that your team or some people get external courses. There's many available online or depending on where you are in the world, I'm sure also being provided face-to-face. Uh, -face. Okay, that's a good starting point. Maybe a suggestion here to our listeners. What actions should you suggest uh, in relation to AI for them? 
Yeah, I'm going to make a very bold statement here. So, dear listener, but also you, Stefan, for me, Peter, whatever your, whatever our role is today or what it was yesterday, it will change. I'm 100% certain wherever I do a presentation, I will always tell, doesn't matter what the audience uh, is. So your job is going to change a little or a lot, you know? And as I said before, yes, some of these jobs, some of the jobs of you listening will not be there in a couple of years. But on the other hand, there's going to be new jobs. And I can only say that I will be traveling this week to be doing such a lecture, two-day lecture. And typically, you know, for people that are in the situation, and what I'm going to say is like, don't wait for AI to take away or change your job. I would always say, and I was raised in the Intel environment to do that, you know, you go to your manager, you sit together, you agree on what are the parts of your job that will be taken over by AI in the next couple of years. Let him go, you know, but do it proactively. And the second thing, you know, agree on which activities you will be in charge of instead. You know, what are the new things? Go to your manager, say, I want to be, you know, I want to get like a data science introduction and I want to take responsibility for that, you know, make sure that you get training on what does that all mean? What does OPC UA and AI together mean? And how can you manage this new job for you in the future? So don't, don't sit and wait, go out proactively, because that's the only thing I am completely certain of with, with a small exception. And I hope where, you know, humans work with humans, let's say in a hospital, where people that are not doing well, they need humans around them. I strongly believe, although there is differences there also around the world, but there are still certain areas, let's say in the world, where, you know, where AI will not take over, right? Where we do need humans, but it's like the 99% of all the other jobs in the world, they will change and make sure that you deal with it proactively. Okay, good. Peter, you always ask your interviewers for final thought you would like to share with our listeners. So is there any question I have not asked you or is there anything you like to mention? Now you have your chance, okay? Yeah, it's more like nothing new. Just confirming again what I said before. It, it's really... It's really so that OPC UA, you know, makes AI for a flying start. I can't put it better, I believe. You know, OPC UA is the perfect match for making AI come true in industry. So if you, dear listener, and, you know, most of you will be, Stefan, you are busy making sure that OPC UA, you know, becomes a threshold in other areas. But if you are today in industry, you know, not for a, a coincidence for what the originators of OPC, original OPC, and then OPC UA, you know, have gone out for 20 years and you have continued and you're still doing that today. You have this secure data exchange architecture and with, and that is very important, implicit metadata. And it's really, it's a dream come true for artificial intelligence, for the data scientists who start and, and maybe if some of them, you know, have been doing this for 10 years in all kinds of industries and then they get a new job to be doing POC in industry and there's OPC UA and they didn't know it and they look into it and then, and then within one hour they start working. It's, it's a dream come true. So 
let's say, let's not put it the other way around. As I said before, you know, artificial intelligence is one further step of digitalization of automation. So if you're going to be doing AI and you have already OPC UA, you know, you're so in such great shape. And maybe I say there's going to be other areas in the future as well, where again, if you have OPC UA, so if you do not yet have OPC UA, consider introducing it into your factory. And then you're going to be so happy that you have it when you then want to introduce machine learning and artificial intelligence. Got it. Okay. Peter, we can continue talking hours, I guess, on this topic. And maybe we definitely should monitor what's going on here in the combination of artificial intelligence and OPCA as an enabled technology in combination with the companion specs. Well, yeah, why not make another edition on this in, uh, let's say, about two years, something like that? Sure. Okay. Overall, Peter, we noticed all of your passion here. <laughs> Thanks a lot for all these insights. Definitely. It was a pleasure for me to have you here as a guest here. For me, it was a new role being the host here. So I hopefully get a diploma from you for my <laughs> sure. podcast. All the best for you personally, and please stay healthy in these days. And so let me hand back over to you again for closing off this podcast interview. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Stefan. Yeah, and I very happily take up your proposal to be doing the same or a similar interview again in a year or two. And if one of you listeners out there say that's exactly what we are doing, or you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks or months, you're going to sit together and you're going to say that's what we are going to try out. You know, we're very much looking forward to hear from you. And maybe you know, in a year or two, we will exactly, or you will then describe exactly what it is that you've done on the area of artificial intelligence with OBCUA. So yeah, I put back uh, on my original head as the moderator of the podcast. So if you, dear listener, want to learn more about other OBCUA activities, uh, companion specifications, the technology, maybe the OPC Foundation, make sure you listen to the preceding editions or visit the website at opcfoundation.org. Or maybe you have a proposal, as I just mentioned, for topics. Uh, maybe you're interested in appearing on the OPC Foundation podcast. Maybe you want to join one of the OPC UA companion specification working groups. Or maybe you want to become a member of the OPC Foundation or otherwise. Please mail the OPC Foundation at office at opcfoundation.org. We'll put both the website URL and the mail address in the podcast notes. Yeah, in future editions, I will be doing interviews with guests from uh, Centix, Backhoff, and others on such uh, topics as designing machines, uh, supporting companion specifications and further use cases. Yeah, and we'll finish the year with an interview with you, Stefan. You will be giving us a 2021 review and outlook for 2022. Yeah, it was great to have you with us today. If you like what you heard, give us a thumbs up, spread the news, and looking forward to have you with us again. Perfect. Peter, again, thank you that you have been my guest today. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye.